God's Word, find the book of 1 Thessalonians. Let me also say a special hello. I know we have a lot more folks watching uh, online today uh, because of sickness, sinuses, all kinds of things folks have uh, going on today. So special hello to lots of you. We miss you. We hope you get to feeling better. And uh, this whole fall weather shift hits a lot of us, doesn't it? But uh, excited to be with you. Find 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we'll begin reading in verse 17 and read all the way through chapter 3. This is the word of God. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope and our joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one may be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you also remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if we are if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word of God. There's a familiar phrase that says, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And this familiar phrase can actually be traced back nearly two millennia to Roman poetry. And it actually originates a little bit before Paul ever wrote to the Thessalonians, but both of them share the same sentiment. There's just something about being together with the people that you love. This is what makes family reunions, whether it's Christmas dinner or whether it's Easter lunch, so special. The longing of our hearts get a taste of what they're created for, because we were not made to live life alone. In fact, one of the first things God saw in his perfect creation that wasn't good was that it was not good that Adam be alone. 
So he made a helpmate fit for him. And while, yes, that is about marriage, it also tells us that relationship, love, connection, engagement are at the core of what it means to be made in the image of God because it's at the core of who God is. But God doesn't call us to vague connections. He really doesn't call us when he made us to live together in community with other people to the sort of shallow Facebook friendships many of us have. No, Paul, through the letter to the Thessalonians, is not only offering us a glimpse of his heart, but also to his relationship with the church he helped found. Paul has been dealing with all kinds of accusations. Last week, he defended himself by showing his genuine ministry. But this week, here's the main idea. He wants us to see genuine relationship, or as we can define that, God's people living together God's way. That's what he wants to show us today. What does life and relationship look like from the Bible's perspective? What does God want for our church friendships together? Because despite what the world may say, there is more to relationships than love and romantic relationships. God has made us to be to have friends and to have people that we know and love and can spend life with. And he tells us first that genuine relationships must be intentional. That genuine relationships must be intentional. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17 of chapter 2. Look at this. For since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Recall that last week we learned that Paul had started this church and not long after it had to flee because an angry mob had threatened him in the city. And this is actually pretty standard for Paul. He goes, he preaches, he founds a church, and opposition follows him. And he said that he has been torn away from them for a short time. This is a very dramatic language. He's almost saying, I have been orphaned from the family that I love. And he speaks of this separation as something thrust upon him, not as something he actively chose or pursued. And he said, even even what's keeping me from you now is an act of Satan and not the desire of my heart. But notice he says, I am active and I've endeavored the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to see you. You see how intentional Paul was about trying to get together with the church, the people he loved. He made it a point to try to be face to face with these dear brothers and sisters. And he said, if I'm going to be hindered, it's going to take an act of the kingdom of darkness to keep me away. And he says, even as I'm away, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying about you. I'm away in person, but not in heart. And in fact, he says twice in chapter three that he got to the point where he could bear it no longer. So he sent Timothy to them. Friends, have we ever gotten to the point where we were separated from people we love that we simply could bear it no longer? Do we ever get that way with with our our family of faith? Because we're meant to have this sort of relationship with one another that we get to the point where we simply can bear it no longer. 
Friends, a live stream can ultimately heal that, can't ultimately heal that longing. It can only put a band-aid on it. We can't do church online for the same reason we can't do family Christmas dinner online. It's about being with the people we love. Try selling that to grandma next time you talk to her. Let's just do this over Zoom and see how this goes. No, because it's about not simply seeing one another from afar, but being together with the people we love. Would Paul's attitude describe ours? Do we desire to be together face to face with God's people? Does it ignite our hearts with love and expectation? And yes, I know we live in a day of a virus and certainly there's things to consider with that. But those in Paul's day were under threat of their lives to gather together as well. And yet Paul and the Thessalonians desired all the more to be together. And there's actually two challenges, I think, that come out of this for us. First, we need to recognize that technology presents a challenge to forming genuine relationships. Technology presents a challenge to forming genuine relationships. Paul could write a letter. He could have kept in touch even. But that wasn't ultimately enough because Though it's unclear, we don't actually know or I couldn't find where Paul made it back to Thessalonica. I'm not, I'm not sure if he ever made it back to them, but he certainly was intentional to try. And there's a temptation, especially for millennials and Gen Zers, and I speak as someone who's kind of in between both of those generations a little bit. We're tempted to share our life through a screen, to confuse keeping in touch with being in relationship. Phones and technology are good. Don't hear me say otherwise, I've got one. And my wife will tell you, I put it to use, right? But they're only good for certain things. And giving you true life-giving community is not one of those. Because, friends, I know you can look at the stats. My, uh, my generation and younger experience profound loneliness. And friends, maybe we're lonely and miserable because we're trying to make our phones do too much. Because we're trying to make technology that is good for keeping in touch with one another, a means of communicating to be the basis of true, deep, authentic, affectionate relationship. Because eventually, you got to stop the texting and get face-to-face with the people that you love. Technology presents a challenge to us doing this, although it can be a great means of of furthering that. But we also need to realize, second, that genuine relationships are hard. Friends, having friends is difficult, (laughs) especially in the polarized day and age that we live in. It can be hard to be friends with people, particularly people different than you. And we have to see that both parties have to be intentional. They both have to share mutual affection. Both have to be willing to sacrifice and take the necessary steps to keep the relationship going. I hear it all the time from folks. Folks will go, well, I just don't feel connected with the people that I worship with. And yet they show up at 9.59, sit down in their seat. And right when the sermon's done, they got to get the heck out and get to the car. Let me tell you something. If you want deep relationship, it will, sp- it will take time. First, before and after service, mingling, talking to people. 
to introduce ourselves to others and take interest in what other people are doing. You can't microwave true friendship. It's something that has to be watered and cultivated and grown, but also might require having dinner together, whether that's at the Cracker Barrel or on the back porch. It require getting in a small group and being committed to those people. Life together, God's way, means not getting everything our way with our comforts. And it will mean being intentional about being together face-to-face and doing hard work together. And that's just point one. The Holy Spirit wants to tell us more. The Holy Spirit says through Paul next that genuine relationship must be filled with love. A genuine relationship must be filled with love. Look at verse 19. Look at this. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul's emphatic. He says the Thessalonians were his crowning glory his pride and joy. He's displaying the sort of joy. Parents will understand this, this sort of parental overflowing of joy at the accomplishment of his kids. The Thessalonians were, were baby Christians taking their first steps of faith. And he's the dad with the cell phone running around with the video, wanting you all to see the first steps his children have taken. Look at the love of the apostle Paul. And friends, where does this kind of love come from? Because it's something we're meant to have. We're meant to model the love the Apostle Paul has. It begins first by setting aside any sort of consumerism in the church. Paul realized that the church wasn't there to serve him. Rather, he was there to give his life for it. That we can have the same love Paul does here, but it begins by setting aside making church about us or our preferences. But second, Paul also looked past their outward circumstances to see God's work in them. The Thessalonians were new believers. They were unlikely to have had it all together. They likely weren't very mature in their faith at this point. Yet Paul looks past their external situations, their sins and their struggles and rejoices at God's work in them. Now, he doesn't set all those things aside because he is going to go on in the next chapter in particular and deal with some of the issues that they were in the midst of. But he wants to begin before he ever corrects them to see and recognize God's work in them, the evidence of grace in their life. And he says, the Thessalonians were his joy. And it's here we must be reminded that joy is not the same as happiness. Friends, happiness is based on happenings, but joy is rooted in hope. Because see, Paul and the Thessalonians faced incredible affliction, and yet they retained their joy. Paul goes on in chapter 3, and he speaks about their suffering in pretty frank terms. And he shows them that his comfort was not in that the affliction was going to go away, but that God was at work despite the trial against them. Look what happens. Paul sends Timothy to them, and Timothy comes back with a good report. Look at chapter 3, verse 6. Look at the report they receive here. Look at this. He says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good report of your faith 
and love and reported that you've always remembered us kindly and longed to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Here's the lesson. Here's the lesson. And this is in your notes. The lesson for us is we need to pay more attention to what God is doing in his people than what the devil is doing in the world. Some of us need to pay much more attention to what God is doing in his people than what the devil is doing in the world. Because Paul says, in the midst of all of my affliction, there's all kinds of things for him to worry about, distress and affliction. He finds his joy and his comfort and his thanksgiving in the faith of this young church. He matched evidence of his trouble with evidence of God's grace. And he's saying, look at all this trouble we're in, but look what God is doing among these people. Some of us lose our hopes because we're worried about all the wrong things. Yet Paul found hope in what God is doing in this church. He finds comfort about their faith and he's full of thanksgiving. This is what genuine relationship is meant to do. To overflow in love, to see what God is doing in these people and for that comfort to, to step into his current situation. Paul says also next that genuine relationship must aim toward encouragement. The genuine relationship must aim toward encouragement. Look back at chapter 3 and verse 1. Look what he says here. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in the faith that no one may be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. Just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. I'll be brief here because I think Paul's pretty clear. Paul sends Timothy to establish and exhort them in their faith. To put it another way, he sends Timothy to encourage them, but Paul's way of encouraging isn't like ours. Because he wasn't actually trying to get them to forget about the struggles around them. He actually reminds them of them. But rather... He, would, he wants to give them courage to stand in the face of it. Isn't that what encouragement is? To pour in courage to someone, not necessarily to take away their circumstance. And notice actually, in the midst of his encouragement, he tells them that suffering is going to continue to come. And he says, you're destined for this. What a feel-good message for them to hear when they gathered together that Sunday, Right? And here's what Paul was doing. For Paul to encourage meant to build up their faith in order that they might stand firm. 
His encouragement was ultimately not that they'd be happy-go-lucky, not to ultimately fix their mood, but that they might stand firm in the faith. He says that no one would be moved or shaken by their affliction, that the tempter, the devil, did not tempt them to ruin. Paul says the same thing over in chapter 5, verse 11. Look what he says there. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Here's the equation. If if encouragement was a, a math problem, here's the equation. Encouragement equals building one another up so we stand firm. It's building one another up so that we stand firm. And it's interesting, Paul encouraged lots of churches this way, in a very odd, different sort of way. He says this, look, in in Acts chapter 14, you can look at this later. Look what he says here. When they preached the gospel to the city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Look at this, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we might enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, we know it's answered the kingdom of God. You're not going to hear this on positive, encouraging Caleb, right? This isn't going to be their verse of the day. Because encouraging someone comes right alongside being honest with them. And the only way that I know and Paul knows to encourage us is to be honest with us. So let me say what Paul's saying here, but take it from the Thessalonians to you. Here's what he says. He says, suffering is inevitable in your life. Everyone here is either in a season of suffering, leaving a season of suffering, or about to walk into a season of suffering. Happy Sunday. But here's what Paul's message is for you. And we're so tempted to suffer alone. Our culture celebrates the idea that they grinned and bore it and they handled it all on their own. And we're a culture that loves to be left alone, (laughs) right? But the Christian life is one meant to be lived in community with a chorus of voices speaking correction and comfort. Friends, some of us are, are only making our suffering worse because... We, we, we're bearing the weight alone and not letting others carry it for us. If our suffering were those groceries, we feel we have to make the whole trip by ourselves the first time. Rather than carry the weight with some others, right? They can carry that milk with you to where it needs to go. If we would let others in our lives, we would experience more challenge, yes, but also more comfort. Genuine relationship is hard. It takes being intentional. It takes a deep otherworldly love with an aim at pouring courage into one another. But Paul closes in kind of an odd way. Here's what he says. He says, finally, that genuine relationships are ultimately eternal. Genuine relationships are ultimately eternal. This is, he puts a nice little bow on this passage with his closing prayer. And he really summarizes the whole thing really well, while setting his sights on the hope of Jesus's return. Look at chapter 3, verse 11. Look at this. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. There's being intentional to be together. 
And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. There's that supernatural love so that he may establish or encourage your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. He closes the section by saying, hey, I pray that the Lord would have us be intentional to get together, that he might increase our love, that he might establish us in holiness and blamelessness. And he closes with a view toward the coming of Jesus with his saints. That Jesus came the first time as a baby in a manger, but he's coming a second time as a king. And the second coming of Jesus is actually one of the central themes of this book. This is the third time he's talked about it, just in these short chapters that we've looked at together. And he's going to have a lot more to say later in the book and in his second uh, letter to them. But he wants to remind us with this prayer that this life is not all there is. (laughs) That even at the end of the world... It's not the end of the story that everyone you meet is eternal. And that means that our friendships in Jesus are eternal as well. Wasn't it? uh, There's an old uh, Michael W. Smith song that says, Friends are friends forever. If the Lord's the Lord of them. That's a super cheesy song, but it does get at the point, doesn't it? that we often think about friendships in terms of decades or our lifetime, whereas friendships in God's kingdom go on forever. And that means two things for us. First, eternal relationships mean we better get used to each other because we got a long time to spend together. So what that means, we ages and ages without end together with God's people. You get... And this means first that you're going to get to see friends again that you have lost in the Lord. And that, that's incredible news to think about. And you're going to be able to spend time doing some of the things you used to do with them and enjoy it. That means that in eternity, you will probably make new friends and new relationships you never imagined possible. And eternity is a long time to spend together. So we might as well get our relationships in line now. And we also can find relief that some of us, I know I've, I've got them, we've all got them, we all have relationships in our past that are broken somehow. And they may even seem broken beyond repair, but in the Lord, those have a day of restoration. A day is coming when all will be forgiven, redeemed, and remembered no more. And while we should pursue it in this life, we have absolute assurance that it's going to happen when Jesus returns. We better get this right because eternity awaits. But second, eternal relationships should cause us to consider the most important relationship we could ever imagine, our relationship with Jesus. We're told that Jesus is coming with his saints. This is a reference likely both to angels and to God's holy people who know him and love him. And when he comes again, the world will be resurrected and he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells and there God's people will enjoy him and glorify him forever as one eternal family of faith. And the incredible news of the gospel is that the king of the universe is also a friend of sinners. 
And that through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, sinners can be adopted into God's family. We have a friend to sinners who lives forever in heaven and who has invited us over for family dinner around the throne. Look how Jesus said, we, we read this together in our morning reading. And look at this, John fifteen fifteen. No longer do I call you servants, for servants do not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. That though God is holy, set apart, righteous, and and self-sufficient, doesn't need anything. He wants a relationship with fallen, sinful humanity. And he wants it so much that God became like one of us, minus the sin. And he walked around on the earth. He ate and he drank and he lived life in relationship with one another. God was far more intentional to pursue after us than we've ever been to pursue after one another. And he came to earth and he dwelt among us. And he came to earth in love. John three sixteen, right? God so loved the world, he sent his son. And Romans 5, 8 says this, that God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Jesus died. Christ died for us and he lived for us. And there's this incredible commentary that John inserts. This is sort of John's little parentheses he puts on the night before Jesus was crucified. Look what he says. This is John 13, 1. Look at this. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that it was his hour, had come for him to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them and he loves you until the end. Friends, it was love that drove Jesus from the throne room of heaven to the womb of his mother. And while Jesus was dying on the cross, it wasn't ultimately the nails that held him there. It was love. And it was love that emptied the grave. And doesn't that provide encouragement that Jesus is a far better friend to you than you've ever been to him or to anybody else? And that's the source of hope for us. And it's ultimately a source of hope for us as we seek to have genuine relationships in God's kingdom. Jesus is the model. God's people live together God's way, and that means living as Jesus would live. Jesus is a friend to you. To those who are weighed down by guilt and sin, He came 2,000 years ago, having lived a perfect, sinless life on your behalf. He willingly went on the cross and there paid the debt for the sins that you committed. He bore the guilt, bore all of the punishment due our sin. And he paid it all and he was buried and he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven. And today has made a way for you to be in friendship with God through faith. No longer thinking of ourselves just as as mere servants, but to think of him as friend, as father, to adopt us into his family. And that can be true of you today through turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus, calling on him by faith. Jesus is a friend to us. 
And he has modeled for us what it means to live together as God's redeemed people. Maybe God is calling you as you think about your relationships. Maybe he's calling you to be more intentional and to start today by looking around at people you've not connected with or maybe aren't here and shooting them a text, calling them this week, being intentional to pursue after them. Maybe God's correcting our hearts that we've not really ever, ever felt that affection for one another and asking God to to cause us to love one another genuinely. Maybe he's calling us to consider how we can encourage one another. And again, encourage one another isn't just to make them feel good about themselves, but to establish them firm in the faith. Or maybe he's just transforming the way we think to think eternally, that there's life beyond this and to make sure your eternity is secured by having Jesus as your friend, by placing your faith and trust in him and being set right with him forever. I see no better place to close than where Paul closes. His prayer at the end of chapter 3 is exactly what we need to pray in our hearts. This is what Paul prays. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Let's pray together. Father God, we need your help. We want to live in in a world of empty, shallow relationships. We want to live in true relationship together. And Lord, that takes work. That's hard to live as your people, but you've given us your spirit to enable us to do that. So we ask for a fresh pouring of your spirit upon us to enable us to live as you would call us to live, to yield ourselves towards your word. Lord, we do ask for your help and for your strength. But Lord, I also pray that you would cause us to consider what a great friend of sinners you are. That you would come and dwell among us, yet be without sin that you would cause us, that you would come and and die on the cross for us, be buried in three days in the tomb and rise again on the third day, forever defeating sin and death to declare that the debt is paid and to declare that your love outlasts even death. So Lord, I pray if there's anybody here within the sound of my voice who is not taken the step of faith that the Thessalonians took to turn from their sin and themselves and to trust in you that you would prompt them to do that even now, to pray to you, to call out to you where they are, to talk to somebody here who would love to talk to them more about that. Well, help us to get our relationships right. And as we sit and reflect in quiet this morning, awaken in us greater love for one another, awaken in us greater desire to be together. And Lord, also a greater desire to see your family grow through speaking the gospel to others. 
be honored in this time of quiet reflection. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to sit in quiet in a, in a world full of noise. <laughs> Just take some time to really think on what matters most. Your relationship with others, your relationship with your Lord. You really give that reflection. We close our service together with a reading from God's word. This from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.